What are some of your favorite worlds from entertainment and why? And I would specifically say fantasy worlds since we're talking about D&D. From like movies, TV, right. anything? Books. Well, let's be real. Nobody reads books. <laughs> You're right. I can't even read. <laughs> um, I think for me, I mean, God, Game of Thrones, I've only read the first book, but as far as the TV show, it it's pretty, it's pretty dang good. Like just the lore behind it and as much work as George R. R. Martin put into it and has neglected to put into it recently. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's probably, it's probably Game of Thrones for me. I have much to say about Game of Thrones later in the episode, so stay tuned. Okay. My Ooh. favorite fantasy world is going to be the Elder Scrolls games. Very different than any fantasy I've seen. On the surface, you're thinking, oh, it's very generic. Um, but if you dig a little deeper, it's super unusual, very strange. And, yeah, the uh, lore is crazy weird. Mm-hmm, which I will also get to later in the episode. I think I have to say um, my favorite fantasy setting is the Big Papa, which is uh, Lord of the Rings. It's just a great epic story, and it kind of informs all of the other stories that already exist, mm-hmm. and it's it's just good. It's yeah, good. Tolkien put a lot, a yeah, lot he has a, there's of, a lot of work. legwork. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, for me, another one's probably probably the Winnie, Winnie the Pooh verse. <laughs> mm. What? Definitely. <laughs> the poopers. Welcome to Vox Arcana. I'm William. I'm Jake. I'm David. And this is a Dungeons and Dragons podcast, episode three, world building. All right, question number one. How do you build a world? Do you go from the top down or the bottom up? I think for me, I like to start with an idea. So I'll have just like a basic kind of question or concept that I want to, that, that inspires me. So I'll see, maybe there's alien va- invaders and I start start from there and then just kind of branch out into almost like a tree. So you go into your little paths and then eventually build the world out and expand it from there. What do you mean by top down or bottom up because so I'm there's trying to, i'm trying to think there's two Mine's schools kind of, of outward <laughs> outward just uh, turtles all the way down <laughs> yeah. no so from the the top down would be you start with this cosmological scale you know the beginning of time god's fighting whatever oh. uh, and then you just take it all the way into wherever your game starts and you drill down all the way to boots on the ground in a little dusty village somewhere that's the top down from the bottom up means the opposite process you only start with this little village somewhere and then you kind of expand well what nation are they in uh what part of the world are they in and then you just sort of extrapolate from there you get very different results absolutely option number two for me i definitely like i start off with like a village or a city or an island or a ship you know and then i build out from there and then i start basically just asking myself questions and then answering those questions um i think for me it's weird all of this world building like this topic in general it seems almost old to me because i have been running a game in my my world that i created about four years ago so I've been just building on and improving my own world. So it's so weird to go back and think how I started it because it all feels so concrete, you know, because I've played in it more than weekly for four years, you know. Once again, I have to comment on just how 
blessed you have been, Jake, <laughs> with your situation. I don't understand how you could get more than one D and D a week, let let alone a month in my case. But yeah, I, I love it. I agree. Like this, I've never had a world last that long. In almost every D and D campaign I play, which is between one and six sessions long it's a new world every time so i'm constantly rebuilding um worlds hmm that's yeah that's interesting because we have completely different perspectives like mine i come from a perspective of building on to one world for years and yours is like creating these worlds from scratch every few months like so I, honestly you you probably have much more experience with world building than i do be just based on the amount of worlds you've created yeah, I think if I was to sit down and build my my definitive D&D setting, I would probably take my greatest hits from all the stuff that I liked and to get rid of the stuff that I didn't, and it would actually be a lot better, hopefully. Hmm. So I have an um, excerpt uh, from the man in charge, Gary Gygax, um, about world building. This is from the first edition Advanced Dungeons & Dragons Dungeon Master's Guide. Wow. Wait, you're what reading it? Yes, I have. I have some oh, words. Uh, let me just pick out the right place because it's, it's a bit wordy. That is, I don't want to like get lost. Gygax wordy? <laughs> no. So if you don't know, uh, Gary Gygax wrote at what's called a college level, meaning that he uses words and phrasing uh, and tenses of words that I just you simply don't see written these days, unless you're reading an academic research paper. Here's the entire four paragraphs. If you want to read along in your Dungeon Master's Guide, it's on page 86 and 87. <clears throat> Unlike most games, AD&D is an ongoing collection of episodic adventures, each of which constitutes a session of play. You, as the Dungeon Master, are about to embark on a new career, that of a universe maker. You will order the universe and direct the activities in each game, becoming one of the elite group of campaign referees, referred to as DMs in the vernacular of AD&D. What lies ahead will require the use of all your skill. Put a strain on your imagination, bring your creativity to the fore, test your patience, and exhaust your free time. Being a DM is no matter to be taken lightly. <laughs> your, <laughs> your campaign requires the above from you and participation by your players. To belabor an old saw, Rome wasn't built in a day. You are probably just learning, so take small steps at first. The milieu for initial AD&D campaign participants, your available time, as compared with the demands of the players. This will typically result in your giving them a brief background, placing them in a settlement, and stating that they should prepare themselves to find and explore the dungeon slash ruin they know is nearby. As background, you inform them that they are from some nearby place where they were apprentices, learning their respective professions, that they met by chance in an inn or tavern, and resolved to journey together to seek their fortunes in the dangerous environment, and that, beyond the knowledge common to the area, such as speech alignments, races, and the like, they know nothing of the world. Placing these new participants in a small settlement means you will need to do only minimal work describing the place and its inhabitants. Likewise, as player characters are inexperienced, a single dungeon or ruins map will suffice to begin play. He starts very small and builds out, and he uses a lot of words. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, it's not that's very so compelling. weird. That's so weird to hear, like, all of these terms that we become so familiar with when they, like, at their inception. And he's having oh. to explain every little thing. Yeah, because like, it's this totally is what boring. a DM is. This is what, like, True. Oh, yeah. it, it, just majestic wording of the first paragraph of just, like, like, you are a universe creator. <laughs> like, it's just so, like, <laughs> that's a big deal. 
As a side note, I would highly recommend anybody who is a fan of just D&D GMing to read through as much of the old Dungeon Master's Guide as you can. There's a lot of stuff in there that, uh, like systems-wise, you'll just disregard, but the writing of it uh, is very useful to kind of get into the mindset of where Gary and his team were when they created the game. I really need to check it out. I It just sounds super interesting. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it could be very inspiring. So um, I've actually wasted a lot of time building worlds from the top down. I think it's a bad habit of GMs, and it's a bad habit uh, they don't realize yeah. is a bad habit. Um, I guess I have a bit of a rant. So uh, if we had a sound effect to play before a rant, we should play it right now. So the bottom line is the players don't care about your lore. They don't care about which god created what or what nation did this. Your players care about what happens to their characters. We live in the age of wikis. This is uh, if you've ever watched Star Wars or you've played Mass Effect or just been a person alive in the year 2018. You just get online and you read everything about a universe, about a story, about a world. There's a reason Star Wars had this expanded universe, because people had questions about why things were this way, and then authors came in, and fans came in, and they filled in those gaps with stories. Problem is, is that that's great, because Star Wars, and Lord of the Rings, and whatever entertainment property we're talking about, because you can just go online and read about everything. And as a GM, you're creating from the standpoint that it's going to be interesting, but if you don't have stories to interest your players, they're not going to care. So I highly encourage anyone to start from the bottom up, like Gary himself said, start with the village, start with the tavern, and build out from there. Huh. I think oh, it pains me to hear that, you know, because I, I, maybe it's different for me because my players have been playing in the same world for years that, like, they've gotten familiar with it to the point where they're like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, Red Larch, that's obviously that, or that's, mm -hmm. um, you know, this mountain, um, we've been there, you know, last campaign that was 200 years ago. So I don't know. I, I hope, <laughs> I hope that like my continuity has given them a sense of like, for me, honestly, I think I could build a wiki about my world and all of it did start from me going, there's a town called Moonbrook and then it just, <laughs> and then it just like expanded outward. So yeah, I, I definitely see that from its inception, a universe has to grow outward, not inward. And and actually, I, I think you're sort of validating my point because your character, your players were there. They crawled around these areas and they remembered yes, yeah. them. It wasn't like you just said, okay, here is the like 250 square mile map with like 80 villages and 50 hamlets, you know, whatever. <laughs> you know, they didn't have to memorize place names from a map. They they experienced it. And that's what you want. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a, a question. In terms of world building... Aside from locations and characters, is there anything else that you need to do? Oh, I think, okay, an underrated part, I think, is, and it talks about this in the 5th edition DMG, uh, creating a pantheon uh, mm. is, I think, a super underrated part of world building. Um, it took me a few years to even, like, we had one kind of holy, almost kind of Abrahamic righteous god that kind of was over all the monks mm -hmm, and yeah. paladins and clerics and that god kind of served the function of kind of like oh yeah that's the god that this that the empire were in worships uh, but then eventually i sat down about a year ago and like hashed out all of the different gods and i basically what i did is just made an alignment chart 
and made a god of each alignment. <laughs> um, and then showed that to my players. And I said, whenever you're referring to, you know, the, the Satan god, um, this is their name. Uh, and so oh, you use that, or whenever you use a curse, whenever you, you like say like a curse word, use this God's Ooh. name. Um, whenever you're trying to evoke luck, use this God of chaos's name. <laughs> um, and so it's actually cool. worked. It's actually worked. It's taken a while, but, uh, you know, I wish I did it sooner to incorporate, uh, a pantheon, but I think, yeah, making a pantheon is like a super underrated part of, of world building. So I would uh, love to put together a wiki for your thing, Jake, cause I just want to see, I feel like that's the point of like ultimate narcissism, though. <laughs> it's just like, I mean, like hey, I you say narcissism, I they? say ultimate uh, Tolkienism, right? See, if if my players, like, my goal honestly is to play in this world um, for so long, you know, twenty years or something, that all of my players that lived in all the various states that I played in would make a wiki. But I, doing it myself would feel a little, uh, <laughs> a little sad. <laughs> <laughs> so um i was just gonna say are is there any significance to making events in your world like in holidays? terms of no not in terms of holidays but in terms of like historical events like there was this battle and this i think so but unless the players were there yeah it's not as like for me i can go oh yes it's been 249 years since the dragon uh, invasion and tiamat was slain because my players literally slayed tiamat yeah and so it, it makes it like they're like oh yeah and it, it's that it's just that blast of nostalgia that they love mm -hmm. but if you just say oh that was you know the the fifth spell plague um you know they're just like okay like does that affect and, me now and for care. me that their that brain comes, just turns off for me that just comes down to like what i feel a lot of world prep is wasted on is just like historical events that have transpired yes. in the past rather than making interesting characters for people to interact with and interesting locations absolutely i think what i think what you're saying is kind of undermining what you said your favorite fantasy world was which is tolkien because yeah. tolkien mm -hmm. did the exact what you're talking about i he, know he made languages, he made entire timelines, and, you know, it's just ridiculous to, like, map out all these different languages. I mean, it worked because he put in the work and he is a good writer. Yes. Um, oftentimes not my cup of tea, but he is a mm -hmm. good writer. Um, but, yeah, a lot of his stuff is kind of, I don't know if it really paid yeah. off. <laughs> like, I've never read the Cimmerillion, and there's just mm -hmm. so much that he has left out, and the only thing that... I personally care about is the the main stories that he tells, yep, and yeah. the characters and the main characters, that are a part yeah. of them. And, and he spent anything his life else is just kind of that. like, yeah, I know. And that's hmm, it. Kind of feels wasteful. Like this raises a, a really interesting um, observation that my sister um, told me about. She said, "Don't make the most interesting thing that happened to your character happen in the past." Oh yeah, the most interesting stuff should be happening in the campaign. And, and a lot of people will come, um, I know I haven't experienced this, but some players will write out their character's backstory in great detail and lots of cool Ooh. things happen to them. And then the campaign happens and it's just kind of like, ah, you know, we killed a skeleton today and uh, I got yeah. rot today. That's such good advice because, and I also feel like that kind of goes into character creation, which we'll for sure have an episode on later. But when people have a backstory full of epic adventure and then it's like, we're starting at level one. Right. It, like, it do they not level up at any all? sense? It doesn't make <laughs> any sense so i like to have characters who are either young or like i encourage my people to be like yeah you were 
Maybe you've been doing an occupation. You know, maybe you've had a little bit of taste of adventure, but like this is the start of your adventure. Um, unless yeah. you're starting at like level, you know, four or five, which mm-hmm. works for some of those, you know, seasoned veteran characters. I, and I think it's easy to extrapolate that same philosophy of character creation into world creation. Like the most yeah. interesting stuff that's happening in your world, make that happen now. Like if you're having the gods yes. have a war that like scars the world, don't put that a thousand years ago. Put that tomorrow. Yeah, that's actually, yeah, that's fantastic advice. Okay, so, David, what you were talking about earlier with, um, and I mentioned him too, Tolkien, you know, he's kind of an ever-present mm. name haunting, <laughs> uh, you know, fantasy, Western yeah. fantasy. Um, Tolkien is kind of a, a base of a lot of tropes that we just hold so dear. Um, so what are some ways in our world that we can defy some of these standard fantasy tropes? Well, I think a great way to um, defy the tropes is to kind of identify them. Um, yeah. You know, uh, so I think the first trope that comes to mind is dwarves living underground, being greedy, having beards, having Scottish accents. I don't Loving know. Loving yep. alcohol. It's like everyone just, I don't know if Tolkien realized. Today I realized... learned I'm a dwarf. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, no, because dwarves, they have riches. Oh, <laughs> All right, that cut deep, but I'll uh, allow it. Well, uh, so I don't know if Tolkien realized he was writing the the Bible of just all fantasy. Like this is the baseline of just about everything, um, including a lot of really crappy fantasy that just doesn't need to exist. So yeah, dwarves. <laughs> what about uh, elves? I'm think yeah, elves. You know, they're kind of snooty, uh, live a long time, live in trees. They're kind of magical. Um, yeah, kind of. I, I like uh, the, the idea that they kind of prance around. Yeah, you know, that they. Kinda, yeah. <laughs> I think the elves in my campaign are. Yeah, they're just. They all of them have kind of a a Cockney accent, and they they look down upon humans, and um, yeah, yeah they, they, they have the superiority standard. like complex yep. about them, like always. Well, it mentions that in the in the fifth edition. I love that they're like a lot of times. You know, they're two hundred something years old, so they look at you know a twenty five year old human. They're like. You've barely lived. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, well, I just have a, a kind of a, a sidebar here about elves. Because I think there's really two kinds of elves, and we never addressed the second kind. And Tolkien actually kind of hit the first kind. So there's elves as, with a E-L-V-E-S, right? These are the graceful Tolkien-esque elves. But then, then there's the uh, the fairy tale trickster, um, mischief-loving elf, E-L-F. Santa? Are they related to Santa's elf? I would say it's, yeah, similar. <laughs> like, it's this very small, um, really, frankly, I guess, gnomish or halfling type creature um, that they just trick you and they lure you into the woods and they rob you. I think sound almost, like I think almost. Santa's elves are halflings. I'm just going to stand by that. That is, <laughs> <laughs> that's a hill I'm willing to die on. Okay. What's, what's another, uh, another trope you can think of? Like, I'm trying to think of even plot wise, like, you know, destroy a certain MacGuffin oh, to save I, the world. Oh, I, yeah. I, I'm so over MacGuffin plots. But sometimes, okay, they have their place. I think when especially you have a new group of people who are playing D&D for the first time, a MacGuffin just clicks. It's just like, oh, yeah. You know, it's just it's so obvious from a, you know, meta narrative standpoint that that I think it works. But after, you know, they played a few sessions or they played a campaign. Yeah, those kind of. Kind of this raises an interesting question, because I think that even though cliches are tired and and tropes are overdone a lot of the time. I think some players are looking for that and and yes. they don't yes. want anything other than that. That's yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. Like, and I think just in general, like 
for me in my campaign, the, the first campaign I had in my setting, in my world, was a very standard, you know, it was like medieval era, gunpowder wasn't invented, you know, uh, magic was pretty rare, uh, most people were peasants, um, and it felt very standard, kind of high fantasy. Uh, but then as the world progressed, it kind of got a little different, uh, it got a little low fantasy, um, it got a little darker, um, magic became more common and more sophisticated, then gunpowder was invented, and the world changed. Um, and I guess we can talk about that later, like how worlds change. Um, mm. But I think it it helped to have that starting point be in kind of the standard fantasy. Um, because then the, the players are familiar with it. You know, if you throw them in some weird post-apocalyptic magic world where you're fighting demi-lich gnomes, you know, it's, <laughs> they're going to they're gonna be like, wait, wait what? You know, because they, they, yeah. they don't have a trope to hold on to. Yeah. Um, so I think, that, yeah, tropes can sometimes work as stepping stones to more complex plots and worlds. I mean, if you look at just Lord of the Rings in general, going back to it, it started the whole trend of all these different Game of Thrones universe, Harry Potter, all of that is based off of twisting ideas that were new and revolutionary at the time in mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings and then kind of playing with them. Yeah, absolutely. So there's something to be said about... Um, like how much standard fantasy you you allow in your game. Because like you're saying, um, so there's some settings that I really don't like. Uh, and this may be controversial to say, Planescape. This was a and d setting from the uh, 80s and 90s, I think. And it was, oh, yeah, yeah. They yeah, have I, some ardent fans. Oh, I, I agree. And I am not insulting those fans at all. But I'm just saying, personally, I have a hard time kind of grasping on, uh, finding the entry point for myself. Because it is like... You're traveling the plains of D&D. It's effectively a sci-fi or yeah. science fantasy setting that's really awesome and cool. Um, but me personally, um, I would have a hard time getting into it and I would have a hard time selling it to my players. Yeah, mm. I think most of the time, I don't know. For me, I feel like I could sell it to my players. But then again, I've been playing with the same players for three years. So they're very attuned with what D&D is. So yeah, I think it's just a big part of world building is... And this is this is common. You have to adjust your world for your players. Yeah. And a lot of times that hurts because you're like, no, the world is this way. Um, but I'm finding I'm actually running a second group of newer D&D players through the same three year-long campaigns. I don't know if they'll do all three, but they're starting with the yeah. first campaign in like the medieval normal fantasy era hmm. in, my, in my world. Um, and I'm thinking like, maybe I need to change some things, you know? Like, maybe I shouldn't stick to the strict adherence, you know? I This world is malleable, and I need to make this world fit the players, even if that takes, you know, erasing a point on the map. Wow. Um, and and I think that's that was a tough pill for me to swallow, because at first I was like, no, this this world is this way. It's been this way for hundreds of fake years. And <laughs> uh, so it, it took me a while to be like, okay, no, no, the, the world... Sometimes you need to let go and let the world change to best fit, um, not the characters, to best fit your players. I think that's one of the most insightful things we've said on this podcast is that at the end of the day, you're playing D&D to have fun with your friends. And if if you're the type of GM who's just like, no, I want to have my lonely fun and just write whatever I want, you should be an author. Yeah, you, should just, you should just write a book because your characters will do exactly what you want. But if you want to be a good dungeon master, you have to be flexible and you have to be willing yeah. to shift your world around. And, um, you know, sometimes that's fun. not easy. So what are some of the things that you guys have liked 
that you've introduced into your custom worlds? So one of my first D&D uh, campaigns, I ran it for a couple of years from um, my brothers and sisters, but it was called The World of Harvest. And the idea was that magic was hard to come by because every few hundred years, these terrifying creatures from beyond would come and abduct every magic user from the planet. And so then you'd have another few hundred years to kind of recharge and, and learn magic again. And it was a huge problem. Hmm. At the time, my 18-year-old self thought this was the coolest, most unique <laughs> idea. But then I realized that it was actually from Mass Effect, which I had played. Oh. And I totally uh, ripped it off. Oh, my oh. God, it is. Yes, it, it was. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's yeah, okay. It, my, my family didn't play Mass Effect, so they didn't know. Um, <laughs> but looking back, like I, I see how invested I was and how... Um, really from the top down, I was designing the world and there was all this stuff. Like I spent hundreds of hours writing things that had no bearing on anything the players were doing. <laughs> Nothing yeah. at all. And one of the worst, <laughs> the very worst sin I have committed in D&D was um, we sat down for an adventure. It was, uh, it had been like a week or two since the last one. And all I did was I railroaded the players into a meeting with the new big boss guy. He explained to them like what was happening on the, the planet. Really, he just... Uh, what's the right word monologued he just oh, monologued for yeah. like 20 minutes of me explaining here because i wanted them i wanted him to expose my work to them <laughs> and then he says will you join me and everybody looks around and says yeah sure i guess and i say okay that's the end of the adventure i'll see you next week and everybody looks around we've been sitting at the table for less than an hour oh. and i had prepped nothing oh. i had no game for them i had a cutscene for them and they oh. were so disappointed and the looks on their faces I'll never forget because it was just a waste of time. Oh. You know, one of the guys drove across town for that. So I think we oh, played a board no. game or something, but it was terrible. That's hilarious. I mean, I'm sure you that's shaped you as a DM, though, because you're like, <sighs> all right, I don't care if it takes me much more preparation. I have to have more things available. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, because like at the end of the, of the day, it matters more to have a, a boring plot with exciting gameplay than a great plot and no gameplay at all. Yeah, that's True. that's a good point. I think for me, kind of similar to that, um, what I, this campaign was the first time, a lot of times I I have my campaign, it's kind of plotted out um, and there's opportunities for them to make decisions, but it kind of comes back. It's kind of like a choose your own adventure. Um, You know, there's different options they can pick, but a lot of them kind of corridor into the same event happening, regardless of what they choose. Um, That's how mine has been for the past few years. But this past year I've explored with like, Tell, really letting my players know because my players have played with me so long that they trust me and they kind of let me railroad them sometimes. Hmm. And so I, I've said, no, I don't want to railroad you guys. You do whatever you want. And I kept pushing that and they really didn't do whatever they want. They kind of went on with, it, with that or whatever hooks I put in front of them. But this one time, a few months ago, one of the players was like, no, let's just go north. Oh my gosh. And I was just like, <laughs> like that was the first one. I'm like, oh no, they're doing it. They're going off the rails. <laughs> and they just went north. And I just made up some stuff on the fly. You know, I had my world, you know, so I knew what was to the north. Um, and they went to the north and they went to the capital and they went and did all the stuff. And it worked out great. It was one of the best sessions I'd run in a while. So I was like, oh, and that gave me the best feeling because I'm like, oh, I'm free. Like, I know this world well enough that they can go anywhere and I'll have something in that area. Um, so that was a really good experience for me. That's so cool. Uh, yeah, we kind of went away from awesome. the question. Yeah. The, the question, if I could oh. remind us again, 
what have you loved about your custom worlds? Um, okay, so for me, this is a, just a little thing. Um, from the very beginning, uh, my world does not have the spell Resurrection. Oh, this is so um, interesting. I do not... I want, in my world, I decided I want death to be scary. I want it to be meaningful. So I was like, that resurrection spell doesn't exist. Um, really focus on healing. Um, you know, you can definitely have some good heals, but but when you die, like, you die. And that really changed the whole world from the beginning. Almost to the point where I played, and when people talked about, oh, yeah, we got a few players down, don't worry, we'll res them. I was like, what? I'm like, wait. Oh yeah, resurrection is a spell in Canon Five E. <laughs> yeah, uh, and so that's probably been one of the things that I've really personally liked, and my players have liked too, because we've had several character deaths, most of them very meaningful and cinematic. Um, but when they die, I mean, they're gone. Um, oh, wish. And I wish I have never had a player get high enough. Uh, I think the highest level character I had was like 14, 15. Um, and I don't think they were a wizard. So I've never had someone use wish before. Um, but that could be, you know, wish could be, that could be something that could bring someone back from the dead potentially. potentially. Um, but I think my world changed completely without really realizing it when I said, okay, resurrection is not a thing. Deaths are meaningful. I think that's cool. Um, in the same way, have you ever seen uh, Avatar, The Last Airbender? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. In that world, they have really hard and fast rules and restrictions on things that are set mm-hmm. up very early. And then over the course of the show and through the, the follow-up show, The Legend of Korra, they broke rules. And it was this amazing moment where you're like, wait a minute, you can't, you know, you can't manipulate lava. Yeah. And yeah. then they you do. And you're like, lava. holy crap, dude. <laughs> uh, and so I feel like because it is a known factor in your world if someone was resurrected that would be a huge deal yes and then and the way that i understand your world is put together that affects the lore forever going forward as like there was a person who came back to life once this hero of old and And i love his expectations it'd it'd be a christ metaphor in that world from then on out you know absolutely absolutely yeah people would use his name whenever they stub their toe (laughs) yeah like that's (laughs) that's that's awesome all right, so I think that for me, so one of the custom worlds that I had planned, but we the the group just kind of fell apart was it was going to be the whole world was actually like a ravaged place, and the people in it were being used as slave labor by illithids or like mind flayers if you don't know what that is and it was and memories were being supplanted into their brain and throughout the the game they would constantly like see these like shimmers of what the real world was and it would just be kind of like nightmares oh my gosh that's that's cool yeah so i and we got like two sessions in and then the whole game like the group stopped and i'm just like oh but that, that i i was excited for it and i had a lot planned that's cool. And I mean, that kind of leads into our next question. Like, so what are some ideas you've had, like world building ideas that you've just wanted to try, but you either haven't been able to pull it off or just haven't tried yet? Hmm. So uh, my first campaign, I think that I ran was, it was exploring a new world. And it's, that's a, like a pretty generic idea. Um, mm-hmm. But what I have an idea for now is that you are currently living in the new world and people are coming and exploring it and trying to like claim territory. 
So you are the oh. you are in a world which is there are these massive factions that are coming in and just trying to take over and claim land. Dude, dude, I'm literally doing that right now with um Tomb of Annihilation. Um basically Chult, like the the jungle island, um they finally opened a portal up to it, like this rare yeah. island. Um, and then, yeah, there's all these tourists and treasure hunters. Um, and the, you know, the empire in my world is thinking, like, we could just annex it. Oh, no. Uh, oh. And so, like, I, I'm I'm trying to incorporate that kind of... Yeah, I love what you're saying, like, the colonialism. Mm-hmm. Um, and how that would play in a D&D game. So I, I'm going to try some of that out so you can live vicariously through me. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to hear I think it's so interesting because in some ways you can kind of explore concepts from a different side of history. Yes. And this is very much Native Americans in America during colonization, but from that side. And I think when it's dressed up with a fantasy flavor, it's to me, it's a lot more interesting because I always found American history to just be really boring. All right. I'm, yeah, that was, (laughs) I'm triggered, but (laughs) roll initiative. There's uh, 20. One. But I just, I, yeah, I love that idea. So along the lines of David's um, colonial fantasies, I have an idea based loosely on the plot from Star Trek Voyager, also the plot of Lego Rock Raiders, if uh, if you're old enough to have oh, played boy. the... Uh, that is a deep... <laughs> that's, a, that's a reference. <laughs> that's, that's deep lore. Wow. Uh, all you have to know is that uh, in Voyager, something goes wrong, they go through a wormhole, and they wind up something like 200 years away from home traveling at max speed and so they have to get back that's why it's called voyagers because they're voyaging um the idea is that you have a band of settlers who are going to go settle some known location uh, in the world and they go to the mages the mages give them their portal and they wind up somewhere very different they don't know where they are maybe i have some board game fascinations but i like the idea of having players with a permanent home and they're having to go and explore the surrounding land make alliances and and, and basically build up this settlement it's almost like a game within a game, right? Because you're playing D and D, but you're also managing this mm. this base of really imperiled. Is that a word? People in peril all mm-hmm. the time because you're in essentially an alien uh, environment. Oh, that's, that's super true. cool. Hmm. That's a cool concept. Hmm. I think for me, um, either post apocalyptic uh, or Call of Cthulhu. Um, I like really, really want. I've done one offs, like one shot. Call of Cthulhu games, and they have been super cool. So I'd love to string together an actual campaign. Oh, yeah. um, but then, in general, just a post-apocalyptic campaign, I would love. Um, and I've been talking to some of my players. We might, after this campaign, do my same world, uh, but post-apocalyptic. <laughs> so, you know, oh. thousands of years in the future. And, and they know... Um, you know, all the cities and stuff that, you know, cause they've been playing this, like I said, for years. So to have the, them be able to see what happens to a world after it's been abandoned for, for so long, I think I, I, that might be my next campaign. I, I've always had a fascination with post-apocalyptic. Oh, I love that. There's so, um, I first learned this from a show called Adventure Time, which was a, it, lo- it seems like it's a fantasy show, but it's really not. It's uh, a post-apocalyptic fantasy mm-hmm. yeah i learned that this is not a unique idea this was originally from a book called um oh geez essentially it was the same idea it's just far 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 in the future and society has changed and technology is magic now i'm kind of intrigued with that idea i also had the idea today of um essentially global warming as the apocalypse on the fantasy world so all of a sudden overnight 
half the world is underwater and what happens oh. to people like fighting over land now that it's scarce yeah because it's super scarce and you yeah. have but it's, it's medieval stuff right and anyway it's kind of this atlantis waterworld fantasy water world, yeah, yeah that's what i was gonna say that's cool that's super cool i think it's time for us to move into the question vault Welcome to the Question Vault. This week's question is, what is your favorite D&D race and why? Oof. Okay, I have to do a shameless uh, tortle plug. <laughs> what? Um, Tortles. Dude, tortles What is are, a tortle? Are you ki- Guys, this is, D- I, this is D&D yeah. Adventurers League canon. I have all of the books and I d- I've never heard of it's a tortle. It's Come on. Tortles are t- turtle people. I mean, you do the math. And yeah, they're just so apparently um, they can retreat into their shell. And I think they have some absurd like when they retreat into their shell, they can't move. Um, they can't attack or do anything, but they have like 19 armor class naturally. What? Uh, oh, wow. And then they, but they can't wear armor. So turtles are like <laughs> I just introduced a character on on the Isle of Chult uh, that is a turtle, and my my players love him. <laughs> um, so I think I really, really, really want to play as a turtle so bad. Oh, and obviously they have slow movement speed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I <laughs> see. I don't know if I'm comfortable like having animal type races because I don't know. It seems very um, silly to me. Like well, kind of Disney. Wait, okay, silly no, thing. There's I Tabaxi like... on Troll, right? Like these cat people. These uh, yeah. Kajita's yeah, wares yeah. of you have yeah. coin. But see, I think my my um. Going back to world building a little bit, you know, we'll kind of leave the vault just for a second. <laughs> um, like my world has, if you have you guys ever read the beautiful, wonderful uh, graphic novel called Saga? Nope, I don't think so. It is fantastic. I check it out. Um, in Saga, uh, there there's no real races. Like the races are like people just have random wings or random horns. So people just have like bat wings or angel wings or vulture wings and people just have devil horns or ram horns or stag horns and uh some of the characters in that are just ridiculous like there'll be a guy in a trench coat uh and his head is just a fishbowl with a fish a talking fish in it <laughs> what <laughs> or like yeah there'll oh. be someone with just like a, like a there'll be a seahorse person i think you know, what you're, just... you're describing is sam and max freelance police the comics <laughs> Because that oh, is no. ridiculous. No, I've I, yeah. yeah I've, I've heard of that. No, it's 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 just fun. And so a lot of ways I'll include this is um, in my game. So going back back into the vault, uh, some of my other favorite races are um, I can't, I don't know how you say it. I call them Arakoas. Yeah. I think they're called Arakros. Arakros. I think it's Arakokra. Arakokra. That's what it was. Uh, what a foolish name. But then in, in uh, World of Warcraft they were called Arakoa. Oh, that's probably where I got it then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I call them Arakoa and. Uh, the twist is, I'm like, it can be any bird. So you can be like an, a, a hawk, Arakoa, or you can be a vulture, Arakoa, or you can be um, like can a be crow. A uh, yeah, a penguin, Arakoa, <laughs> or like a parrot, Arakoa. <laughs> like, they get hilarious. So I, I like some of the weirder races, to be honest. Hmm. Yep. Favorite race? So, hmm, that's interesting. I'm trying to think of all the characters I've played in D&D because I play so very rarely. <laughs> um, so in general, it's it's the characters that I play as NPCs when I'm running the game. So I like, oh gosh, 
race, probably dwarves. I find them very consistent and very easy to just role play as because mm-hmm. you kind of know where their priorities are. They're very predictable mm-hmm. in some ways. I've just, you know, got a soft spot in my heart for dwarves. I think dwarves in general are underappreciated. I agree. I think most people, most people pick half elves or humans or elves or like half orcs for stronger warriors. Dwarves are under, they're underrated. So I think that's a good pick. I think they're okay. <sighs> what would you pick, David? Um, so not necessarily to play, but to interact with. Mm-hmm. Definitely goblins. Oh my gosh. <laughs> they are. Yes. They're amazing. And I feel like as the game goes on, I experience less of them, which makes me sad because the the early on shenanigans with them being so dumb and just <laughs> great. Uh, and and yeah. being debatably like sentient yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's all that's always a fun debate my players last last session had literally a one hour debate whether to slit a goblin's throat try to learn its language and talk to him or let him go and it was the best thing because they're like making like philosophical points about what a goblin is oh, <laughs> it is kind of unclear which it is was great because ambiguity is the realm of happiness <laughs> yeah that's a great quote said no one <laughs> <laughs> okay last thing we got to talk about when we're talking about race <sighs> okay there's been I, I i've looked this up and i'm very with a heavy heart i am here to tell you that in D canon halflings are shorter than gnomes i'm and mad yes I'm that mad. is heresy that is wrong that is so i in my world i'm just gonna say it that's not true (laughs) like i can't even if a like a person that's kind of built like an elf that's smaller than a gnome i mean that's a fairy that's ridiculous yeah but it's not like a lot smaller it's just like on average smaller dude gnomes are so small like i don't know i i can't okay here's the thing i think that it, for me, it's not a big deal because I accept that Lord of the Rings is a big influence. And I feel like every time I think of a halfling, I think of the hobbits. hobbits. Yeah. And they would be bigger than a gnome. Yes. Absolutely. But hobbits so, are not halflings. So. No, no, no. They, dude, yes, they are. I was listening to one of the D&D podcasts and one of the creators, I think it was Mike Merles or one of them was like, <laughs> he was like, yeah, so like if you're choosing, you know, say an elf or a hobbit. Oh, excuse me. Excuse me halfling uh we apologize to the tolkien estate uh we meant halfling yes. <laughs> like oh, no, no they they are interchangeable they if, had they, to, if they reprinted it, the first edition books and they had to change the name from hobbit to halfling yeah <laughs> i mean i guess you could have like hobbits in your game and then halflings yeah. which are the legitimate size but yeah i always view halflings as hobbits but and also for me um as my world progressed leaving the vault for a second as my world progressed (laughs) the races um started to interbreed a lot so a lot of my npcs that they'll uh see i'll be like uh it's an elf with a you know a grayish tinge to their uh face with small uh under jaw uh teeth and so they'll be like oh so that's like a half so it's like a quarter orc uh half elf Oh, uh, and, and so I like you. doing that. So yeah. then you'll see like, oh yeah, that's a half human, half halfling. And we jokingly call them quarterlings. Um, <laughs> and oh so a lot God. of my, a lot of my races have intermingled and it's, I actually let my players pick 
combos of races that seem ridiculous too. Wait, wouldn't they be three quarterlings because they're in between a halfling? And a... <laughs> that's that's <laughs> not. No, that that'd be a quarter. Because right? half of a halfling is a quarterling. Yeah, so they're half the size of a halfling. Okay, now we're just getting into math. <laughs> pretty much or you know instead of you know picking one of these wild races you could just go with the human and get the extra feet and Ugh. win how uncreative david my eyes are rolling so hard <laughs> well i think that's uh, where we end so thank you for listening to vox arcana episode three i'm william i'm jake i'm david and we'll see you next time <laughs> <laughs>